And it's a funny, it's a funny thing to, to talk about cutting this one down, because uh, we're ending our series on the patterns of Jesus. These are four spiritual formation disciplines he kept, and the last one we're talking about is being generous and open-handed with our time allowing some time wasting. And so I know it's weird to say we're cutting it down, but at the end you'll understand why it fits perfectly well. You know, the day that I met my wife, uh, it, was a, it was a surprise. I, did not, I didn't even tend to be where I was. I was supposed to be meeting somebody else, it fell through, and my brother was gonna go meet with this friend of ours, and he said, why don't you come with me? I was like, all right, and it was a Sunday after church, because um, our relationship is holy, and we went to Thai home, and that friend brought a friend, and that additional friend that came along was Elena. And I got to know her, and about a year later, we became friends, and about a year later, we started dating. And I didn't expect it to happen. And it, was, it happened because of an interruption to my day. I had other plans for that day that got interrupted. I remember um, when I felt called to ministry, I was in a master's program pursuing a degree in uh, licensed practicing counseling to be a therapist. So I was pursuing a career in psychology. I remember when I was told that when Elena came bursting into the room holding on to a little plastic stick saying she was pregnant for the first time, I was packing up my things for the day to go do something else than run around and make a whole bunch of announcements to family. And I think if you were to join me in this exercise of remembering some of the great moments of your life, you would realize that a lot of them were interruptions. And they don't come through plans, they come through these interruption moments. How many great interruptions have come into our lives and how many, and I guess this is the question, great interruptions could we rush through or not bother to stop with and we could miss them in their significance? We cling to the lives, they're the days that we planned like they're somehow perfect and that anything that would change it would be a problem. But the best part of any story is the unexplained, interrupted plot twist. And that's where God typically dwells. You know what's amazing is that um, half or a little over half of the gospel stories are interruptions. Jesus was doing something completely different and something interrupted what he was doing and it starts off this amazing story. He gets interrupted in his plans constantly. Yet what we find with Jesus is he never made people feel like they were inconvenient. He never rushed them. He never was looking the other way or looking at his sundial. And when he had to be at the next appointment, he was always focusing as if that person talking to him was the entire plan of his day. No matter how much of an interruption it was, Jesus didn't speak to people like a, uh, those detached uh, megachurch pastors that maybe you've met sometime, oh, hello, 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 and they move along, or a politician who shakes your hand and closes out with, I hope to see you on election day. He really stopped and let himself be interrupted and leaned into it. And it's an amazing part of his story, of who he was. One of Jesus' greatest qualities, honestly, that makes me want to follow him was his generosity with his time. It's one of the things I admire most about him. And it's easy to say about an omnipresent God. It doesn't cost him anything. He's not, he, he could be just waste his whole day on me, and he's not wasting anything because he's also across the world and doing amazing things. But Jesus did that as a man, a man that was going to eat and sleep. It took a while to travel from one place to another. As a person, he was incredibly generous with his time. 
and his loving pace we find as we look at it is no byproduct of the pre-digital age. It's not like this is the way people used to be. They used to have a lot of free time because we find that when he's interrupted, it usually annoys everybody else but Jesus. That they have a, the, this, this schedule they're keeping in their head, yet Jesus could let the schedule be broken for a moment. And people were surprised how generous he was with his time, how slow he could be. For instance, uh, there was a day Jesus landed his boat at the, uh, across the Sea of Galilee, and a synagogue leader, a synagogue being a Jewish center of worship, uh, he, the leader runs out, he charges straight at Jesus, bursts through the crowd, falls at his feet and begs him. He says, Jesus, please come. My 12-year-old daughter is near death. I want you to come and heal her. And it says that Jesus immediately leaves and just follows the man to his house. Whatever Jesus was doing that day is not happening now. He's going to this man's house. And if I know Jesus, he's not going to get there, heal and go, I've got to get going. Like, he is going to this man's house. So word gets out that he is going to do this, and people know Jesus is a healer, so this crowd begins to gather around him until it's hundreds. At this point, we have interruption number one, synagogue leader. His name's Jairus. Jairus is, is interruption number one, and so you've got this parade of people, and it's growing and growing. Everyone's pressing against Jesus, and as he goes by a woman uh, who had been afflicted with an illness, she had basically nonstop menstrual bleeding which made her ceremony unclean. She had broke the bank trying to pay doctors to fix it. Nothing had happened. It had been years. And when she sees Jesus come by, she says to herself, if I, can just, if I could just touch, if I could just touch the bottom of his garment, I could be made clean and I could be healed. So she does. She goes up and she touches him and Jesus stops. Just interruption number two. And he says, who touched me? And the disciples who have got this idea, like we are going to Jairus' house, this would be a significant healing. You heal the leader of a synagogue, and you have done a lot to spread the kingdom of heaven in that area. You would have a lot of influence you're swaying. Jesus stops the crowd and says, who touches me? And Peter and the other disciples, they go, who touched you? Everybody. Everybody's touching you. There's a hundred people around. There's this sense of impatience. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I just felt the spirit of God go through me, and somebody got healed who touched me. And this woman, terrified, identifies herself in the crowd, and Jesus has a conversation with her. With a little 12-year-old girl dying down the street, everybody waiting to see the miracle, he stops and he tells her about her faith, tells her that her faith has made her well, and that she is whole, and continues on his way. Jesus is constantly being stopped, and we find that his pre-digital era friends didn't like it either. I got to say, when I read stories like that one, something inside me cries and says, I need the kind of Savior who would stop for the unimportant the same way they would stop for the important. And then they would stop for the poor the same way that he would stop for the rich, that would stop for the um, one that life that people call valueless, just as long and as seriously he would stop as one that has great influence. That's the kind of Savior that we need. There's a story I want to read today, and it's one of the most charming, well-remembered stories in Scripture. I want to read the story of the, the walk to, to, excuse me, to the city of Emmaus, uh, and we'll, uh, we'll just begin right in verse 13. Now, the same day, this is the day, uh, the third day when the, the women come back with the report that Jesus has been resurrected. On that same day, uh, two men were going to the village 
called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So how were they kept from recognizing him? If it was spiritual blindness or he chose to appear as someone else in this moment after the resurrection, we don't know. But the point is they don't know who he is. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast, and one of them named Cleopas. So keep in mind, these two disciples are not part of the 12. They're part of that greater group. Uh, A man named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened uh, there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, he replied. He was a prophet. Powerful in word and deed before God and people, and the chief priests and rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of the women, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us. Uh, that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets had spoken. Did not Moses, uh, uh, excuse me, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was... uh, what was said in all of scripture concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he were going to go further. And they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They, uh, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scripture to us? This picture of Jesus walking and talking with disciples is so powerful to us because we read stories of the 12 and we, we know that they belong to him. But to see this post-resurrection Jesus giving unlimited time to the greater disciples, I think we identify with it because that's us. We are those that follow him, and he comes and he walks and talks so patiently. This is after his resurrection, his glory, when you could say a lot would be on his mind and a lot that he would be thinking about, and yet he has this long walk. And we can find it so bizarre, their question, that they're completely disillusioned about Jesus, even after a pretty well-researched rumor about his resurrection begins to go around. They're in doubt. They don't know what to make of it. And for us, because we know Scripture, because we know the post-cross New Covenant and theology, we're wondering why they're so confused. But what we see is that there's this, this thing that's missing in their belief system and how they understand Scripture, something that Jewish teachers didn't teach, didn't see, didn't understand, and that is that the suffering of the Messiah was critical to how he would redeem Israel. Their perspective up until this point is that one day a chosen general king leader will come and liberate our nation. We will defeat the Romans. We will reestablish ourselves as a kingdom. And then he will rule the earth and make it perfect. That was their perspective. A Messiah on the cross is not their perspective at all. 
So what's missing is this complete idea of the Messiah. Honestly, had they understood the Old Testament correctly as Jesus opened it to them, they would have seen him suffering on the cross. They would have seen the day of the passion, and they would have said, this proves he's the Messiah, instead of saying it discredits him. And this conversation, bear in mind, it took two and a half hours, at least. How do I know that? Because the average human being walks three miles per hour, and this was seven miles. To give you an idea of how far this walk was, if you walked from here to Eagle Creek, that's seven miles. That's a long walk. And Jesus walks on this walk, and honestly, it could have been longer than that, because if you caught it in the story, the story stops with him, stop walking. It says that they stopped dead in their tracks, looked at each other, and began talking, and then kept walking. So we don't know, but at least two and a half hours of Jesus' time is being poured into these men as they walk. What we know is the conversation was very long. What we also know is that there are times that there are major sticking points in our lives when enormous connecting pieces, for them it was a suffering Messiah, for us it could be anything. Why, why do good people suffer at all? We, offer, we ask a similar question. Why was the Messiah a good person suffer? Why must I suffer? These questions can be broken. And those kinds of conversations, that kind of enlightenment, it happens at a very slow-paced walk with Jesus. It doesn't happen quickly. It happens with slow time with him. Like these disciples, we can also be perplexed, and we need to slow down to disciple deeper under Jesus. A big question of the day is this. Can you get all that God has for you in a rush, in a hurry? Everything that he would say, everything that God wants to pour into your life, Do you hear God when you're hyper-focused on a task, when you're speeding about your day, when it's rigid, when it's tight? Is the pace of your life congruent with spiritual formation with the God who walks? Is the pace of your life spiritually congruent to be formed by the God who walks? I think we reject so deeply a deviation from the plan. We want the plan to go as it, as it goes, yet God is found in the interruptions. Had he never blown apart the plans of my life, changed things, never interrupted me, I would be living a very shallow and hollow life. My life has been built up on amazing interruptions, beautiful interruptions, and so is yours. If we want to open our hands to what God has for us, we need to loosen our grip on time. We hold it far too tight. There's these hysterical records. I mean, they're funny to me now, but when the Romans invented the sundial, people freaked out. You can read people writing about it, and they'd say, what does this abomination invention of man going to do to our day as we break it up into segments and measure it out? You're not supposed to measure a day. And when the Germans invented the mechanical clock, that made people really freak out. You can read about it. People wrote about it in such terms as saying that this new device was mankind electing for itself a new slave master, that they were going to have to do things as it says, because control of your time is control of your plans. I remember we were one day sitting, it was before a class in Bible college, and I look over, and this guy's got a spreadsheet, and there's a rule, never look at another person's monitor, just don't do it. So I don't look, but someone else does, because they don't know the rule, and they go, oh my gosh, is that a schedule? So then we all looked. I think at that point, you're invited, right? (laughs) And so we look, 
and it's the week, and it's every hour. He's got sleep scheduled in from certain hours to certain hours. He's got everything down, and we're looking at it, and we're like, what are you doing? And someone said, where is your free time? He goes, right there. I scheduled it on Thursday, free time. I had never seen anything like that. And I think about that because it means, it it says something really clear. Control of our time is control of our life. Having this control of our time, this expectation of what it must be. Being too obsessed with keeping great time is indeed a slave master. It makes us miss people. It makes us miss God when he goes by. And sometimes in our hurried effort to keep time appointments, we're missing divine appointments. I think the lessons of Christ's pattern is this. It's not about wasting time or not. It's not about learning to be really, really inefficient. It's about serving God and being with people and serving them. If keeping a timely appointment serves people, you should do it. Don't be late to pick your kid up from school tomorrow and say, my pastor said it was fine. (laughs) There are times that the chronological clock matters because that serves people. You should pick your kid up from on time at school because it serves the school. They have grading, things they got to do, teachers that need to get home, or maybe they, they're going to be late picking up their kid from over there at. There is a, there's a responsibility to try to pick people up on time, to meet people when we said they would, and that serves people. But if keeping timely appointments get in the way, it needs to go. If loosening your grip on your plans and embracing interruption serves people, you should embrace that interruption. That was Jesus' spiritual discipline, his, his willingness to embrace interruptions. If someone talks to you that you had no plans of talking to for that day, and, you, and, and you're now just a co-pilot in this conversation, you need to stop, make eye contact with them, and repeat to yourself over and over again, slow down, this, talking to this person is what I'm doing right now. That is how Christ was. He was able to serve people with how he Uh, lived his life, how he controlled his time and the things that he did. To be present. Christ made no one feel like they were an inconvenience, and neither should his disciples, his Christians, those that are after him. That's what the word Christian really means. It means little Christ. It means that we picked this person and we said, I will disciple beneath that person, apprentice beneath them, copy their behavior and their actions that I might be like them. If Christ made no one feel like an inconvenience, neither should we. Christ embraced the beautiful interruptions, and honestly, those interruptions weave a pattern of stories that declare the kingdom of God. Most of his stories are interruption stories that he, led in, that he leaned into. Christ's spiritual discipline is simply this. Embrace interruptions and make relationships first. They should be first. How you manage your time, it should be something that serves relationships, relationships with God that we're never going too fast, too hyper-focused, to hang on to our time so tightly that we can't give a moment, be interrupted, that we can slow down to a pace that we can hear the God who walks, and also serving people with our time, that we wouldn't cut people off, we wouldn't be rushed with anybody, nobody's unimportant in our sight. Jesus stopped the exact same way for two people. One was an afflicted woman declared unclean, and the other was a synagogue leader. He cared for people, and that is the, that is the spiritual discipline we should implement and emulate. And all things let us be like our Savior, and also embrace those interruptions of life 
to love God and love people far more than we love being masters of our own time. I think there's a spiritual discipline in being a little more generous with our time and the way we give it to people. I want to pray for us this morning as we go that we could be uh, encouraged by God, strengthened, knowing that um, in the same way when Jesus gave up a lot of time, it never cost him. He was never empty. It filled his life. It filled our Bible with stories. If you give your time away, it also is seeds and it plants an abundant harvest. Don't be afraid to give it away. Lord, I pray that as, as we look at the way we, we hang on to time, we look at the expectations we have on ourselves, I pray that you would give us discernment first off to know, have we made ourselves too busy? And then give us wisdom as to what to do about it, to be precise, to be correct, and to be courageous to come to whatever actions your Holy Spirit convicts us to do. And Lord, I pray that we also would be able to just simply be more generous with our time. Help us to be rationally loving, that we could slow down and say, it's okay if I don't make great time for the sake of this person right now. Would you let us see how important that is? Would people matter more than keeping a great schedule? And Lord, I pray that we could be generous and free and indiscriminating with our time, just like you. In all things, God, as we've gone through this, uh, these four weeks of looking at how did Jesus live his life? How can I apprentice? How can I copy his movements and his actions? I pray that we could look more like you. We would be filled with the kind of joy that you were filled with. We could be filled with the kind of energy and hope, the strength that you were filled with to do your will just as you would have it done. Change our lives, Lord, as we give away our time. In your name I pray, amen.